Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dawn, and this month we are having another episode in my series of the Creative Conversations episodes, where I talk to somebody in a creative field who has been uh, inspired by their love of anime and manga and other cool things to make their own cool things. And with me, I have a very, very special guest today. Uh, with me is, wow, someone who wears a lot of hats. They are a writer, illustrator, comic artist, comic writer, sometimes musician. Please welcome Abby Denson. Hi, happy to be here. Yeah, it's so great to have you. Because um, when I was looking up your resume, you've you've done an awful lot in your career. Yeah, it's funny when I look back on it. I'm actually thinking I have to trim down my bio because it's too long. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, time has been flying and I've been busy for sure. Well, um, if you want to start out by uh, telling us a little bit about what you do and your work. Yeah, sure. So I'm a cartoonist and or graphic novelist, and I've also done comic book scripting for licensed properties. Um, I started out doing self-published comics. Um, uh, the biggest, the first kind of bigger one was called Tough Love that uh, was published in a magazine and then had a collection. This was in the 90s. So uh, coming up to now, I did a lot of other graphic novels. One was called Daltopia, which won an International Manga Award. Um, and my current latest books out right now are Kitty Sweet Tooth Makes a Movie, which is part of the Kitty Sweet Tooth series, which is illustrated by the artist Udo Maru. And the other book that also came out this year is Uniquely Japan, which I illustrated. And that's like a nonfiction book that covers various Japanese cultural topics. And um, But yeah, we have a lot in between I could talk about, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was really excited when I found out about your work, because I feel like, I think at some point in the past, I had seen your work because it looked so familiar to me. It reminded me of like, the whole sort of like, Indian zine culture stuff from like the 90s. Yes, uh, that's definitely where I started out. Yeah, it was great. So, so I was like, I feel like I had to have seen like some of this work, like maybe in a library or in a collection somewhere. So when I was contacted about your your newest work, the stuff with Kitty Sweet Tooth, I was like, this name sounds familiar. And when I was doing research for the for the episode, I was like, I feel like I had to have seen some of this before because you've been around for like a while. You've been doing comics and other works for for yeah, for a while in now. Yeah, I started in the 90s. I started in the 90s, so I'd say like. I think Tough Love was, which was the mini comic I was self-publishing, I would say it was 96. Mm -hmm. And that also got picked up by a, a magazine called XY Magazine, which was a magazine for gay youth. And it was running there as a serial. And then ultimately got collected in 2006. Um, just And it was called Tough Love High School Confidential. After that, I did Daltopia which was also a self-published zine at first. And then um, Green Candy Press put out a collection of that. And it, um, and then after that, uh, I did some, I also was into, I mean, was into travel and dessert blogging. So I was doing comics about travel and I was going to Japan. I had studied in Japan um, from 1997 doing a 
summer session at Sophia University. So I made a lot of friends there and collaborators there, and I tried to go back every year. So basically up until the pandemic, I think I went like 10 years in a row for visits, and that's how I met. Yeah, that's where I met. I randomly met Udomaru in a bar. Oh, wow. Tokyo Tokyo bar, a Suspiria based on the movie Suspiria, which is called Cambiare. And because uh, I also like horror movies and B movies, which, oh, you know, so cool. if you read Kitty Sweet Tooth, then, you know, our, you, you would see that. Um, but yeah, so we became friends and we had a lot of the same interests and I was super admiring her amazing art. Um, she does illustrations and animation for the J-pop band Oisama and also... Uh, did the character design for the Mute King anime that came out recently. Yes, which I think a lot of people slept on because Mute King was so good. And it's based off of like an old existing property, actually. I believe the original Mute King came out in like the 80s. Um, so I was like really excited that they were making like a new one with like this really cool art because I uh, had seen or... um Utamaru's work with Ore-sama, because I like Ore-sama a lot. And so I was like, oh my god, she's doing this art for Mute King. That's so cool. And like, nobody watched it. And I was like, no. Yeah. If anybody takes anything from this interview, definitely check out the Mute King anime. I believe that Funimation has it. So check it out. Yeah, (laughs) It's it's, it's wild. And the art is amazing. It's really good, you guys. Everybody slept on Mute King. Like... it's a fun time. You've got dance fighting. Yes, <laughs> dance fighting. fighting. It's <laughs> if definitely. You, a if fun you time. love, um, like Super Sentai stuff, yeah, yeah, like definitely check out Mute King. I, I, I think you would like it if you're into like the the Super Sentai and the common writers and the whatnot. It's very in that sort of genre, but like it's really fun and colorful and. And uh, just really a good time. But speaking like a disco ball spinning while you're, you know, people are battle dance battling and have yes, a great time. They're disco. <laughs> they're disco battling. It's how, how can you not love that? <laughs> but um, getting back to your work, so I know obviously you are a huge fan of manga and uh, maybe to a lesser extent anime. How did you get into uh, manga and anime? So growing up, I always did like to read comics and I was as a kid kind of reading things like X-Men. Um, then when I got a little older, I was reading Love and Rockets. Still am. Shout out to Love and Rockets. Yeah. Awesome. There's actually an awesome documentary about it. That's new. Check it out. Um, and I was starting to get into uh, anime because in the 90s, it was starting to become available the video stores and things. And um, my mother actually worked for a Japanese company and she had gone to Japan on a business trip. I think, I guess I was like 11 and she came back with all this stuff. Uh, She taught us how to use chopsticks and started taking us out to eat sushi and she had a really great experience on it. So um, even before I became familiar with manga and anime, I was already becoming familiar with Japanese culture and had an interest in it. Hmm. 
so that was pretty, it was pretty funny because now when I talk to her about her experience, because she was there in like the bubble eighties and she was a high powered salesperson. So she like brought over, she saw the whole, like <laughs> she was partying over there ah, <laughs> when so she they brought her the, over. The rise and the fall. <laughs> yeah. She, she was there like in 86. So I think it would probably was like a really fun time. So, um, mm. hearing all about it was really cool. Uh, anyways, so I started getting into watching anime, saw um, Akira, of course. And mm. then, um, you know, that of course was kind of a mind blower for, I think most people who saw that. And oh, yeah, for I sure. also saw a lot of, I started getting into Rumiko Takahashi and when Viz was bringing over the floppy editions of Maizani Koku and Ranma half, I was like really into both of those. Oh my so, God. Yeah. Back yeah. in the day when they, they released it in like the, the monthly issues, uh, like an like an American comic, and they had to flip the artwork. Yeah, yeah, Man, that was so long ago. But I, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you there. Like, I definitely was like uh, one of the, I think maybe two other people in my local comic store that had that in their pull folders <laughs> for every month. Yeah, uh, so I remember I would go to the comic store. It was in New York City, so I was studying uh, illustration at Parsons at the time. So I would like go into the comic store and usually I would end up getting, you know, one of those Rumiko Takahashi floppies and maybe get Love and Rockets, get like some hate comics or Peter Bag, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. or uh, Dan Klaus comics, things like that. I'd usually be picking up Fantagraphics and uh, Viz stuff. So Yeah, yeah. That's Which you could probably see in my comics at the time because my influences were definitely like there's sort of a manga influence uh, in my art, but I actually my top artist is Keith Haring, which uh, oh, okay. I think you probably can see. So mm-hmm. he's you know not a comic artist, but he's probably one of my top art influences as as a visual artist. Oh yeah, when I'm illustrating. A fantastic illustrator, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that was something that like when I was first uh, looking into your comics, I I was really struck by how like, I think, like I said, there was the obvious sort of like, indie, like zine culture look to it. But also like, I could tell like, oh, she, she probably likes manga a lot. Like it's kind of manga ish, but not quite. Well, well, I got very inspired and driven to do more of a story from manga art um, because I was getting into manga and I found I liked Maizani Koku um, more than the other ones because it was a slice of life. So I was really more attracted to slice of life sort of stories and romance stories. Mm-hmm. And I went to an anime convention and then I became aware of Shonen Ai um, kind of stories and they had more like LGBTQ plus um, topics that I really wanted to integrate that because I wanted to do a romance story, but I thought that doing a straight romance would be kind of boring. And on top of that, like I, I wasn't raised in a homophobic environment and I have many friends and family members growing up who were gay. And I wanted to depict uh, a sympathetic gay love story. So that was the first thing I did in my first comic top love. Cause that was driving me uh, to, to make a story like that. Cause I couldn't really see it out there already. Yeah, I was gonna say like for for t- for tough love, that was for an American comic in the nineties. Like that was actually pretty progressive at the time. 
because like we didn't have a lot of real super available boys love or girls love comics because in the 90s it was still like <laughs> considered really taboo to to have that kind of stuff in your media yeah it was I was trying to do that and just because I didn't I wanted to read a story like that and it wasn't available so and I think that this even now, any, if there are any aspiring creators who are listening, I would say, think about what you want to read that isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to, not to say, you know, you're probably not going to reinvent the wheel, but if you make a story that's going to please yourself, like you have to please yourself first of all. I mean, I think that anyway, I'm not making, I'm not, honestly, like comics is not exactly a money making venture. <laughs> so it's right. kind of like if you're getting into it to try to get rich quick, I don't, I don't have bad news for you. Yeah, you're probably not gonna but but you can be satisfied and artistically please and and helping other people because actually some topics in the story like we did have a topic of suicide in the story and and um the magazine it ran in which is the xy magazine they had a lot of information um uh with the treasure trevor hotline and things for people who are experiencing suicidal feelings Mm. for um you know, LGBTQ, you know, queer youth. So, uh, that was something that became a topic and I actually got some, you know, I got a lot of fan mail uh, and I got mail from people who felt like less alone about it and felt, I think it helped them, which I was not something I expected that I'd be involved with that. Like actually maybe hopefully making a positive different people, difference in people's lives. But I Mm. feel proud that I was able to in some, in some cases and also made a ton of friends and doing zines and, you know, DIY, being in the punk scenes, things like that, I still am close with, like, a lot of the fans and friends that I first met through the comic. And that cannot be underestimated, like, the power of, you know, meeting your friends around the world, you know, just from your own unique little comic you put out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, like, uh, you know, we're uh, around the same age and I, I assume that like we both came from that era where like if you said, Oh, I'm making a zine, that meant you were sitting down, hand making your own comic and like Xeroxing stuff <laughs> and stapling things together and yes. mailing them to people or like leaving them at like a, a club or a comic shop or something like that. Um, All of it. Yeah, yeah. So like hand going to the copy shop, hand copying it, folding it up, of course, hand drawing it first. Mm -hmm. Fact sheet five. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Fact sheet five was a zine catalog, basically, is how Mm -hmm. I would describe it, where people would write in and advertise their zines. And then people who were into zines would buy the fact sheet five, and then they could read about every zine that got listed in there and then order them. And it was a really good way of people around the world communicating with each other with their, you know, self-published creations. And I think a lot of long lasting friendships have come from that. I actually recently dug up a box of letters. I can't, I can't believe I still had it all. And I was just amazed reading some of these letters now, like over 20 years ago, 20 years later. <laughs> so wow. nice. we don't have pen pals and letters anymore. The pen pal is like important. Oh yeah, I had a uh an episode from gosh, I think it was 2017 uh where a friend of mine and I who we are still friends to this day, we met via anime pen palling. Wow. And how like that whole circle of like 
socializing is basically kind of forgotten now. But like back in the day, that was like your lifeline to people. That was like our social media. That was how we contacted each other. Oh, yeah. And one of the most like life changing things about it for me was um, I was doing the comic, I was reading manga, and I, I was interested in Japan. And I want I started studying the Japanese language at college. And I had the opportunity to go do summer session. So I applied to do a summer session there. And around that time, like previously, like my first couple of issues of my zine were out, I'd put one out in other music, which is a New York city. It's now closed, but it's a New York city kind of like legendary indie record store. Mm -hmm. And they had zines in there. So a lot of times record stores would carry your zines to comic stores. Mm -hmm. So, um, Anyway, um, my now good friend Yuko Koyama, who's also a cartoonist, was in New York for the first time on vacation. And they went to the music, the, her, her and her sister went to the record store because they wanted to buy some indie records. And they saw my comic and bought it and went back to Japan. And she wrote me a letter. And she was also a cartoonist. And we just became fast friends and we're still friends. And we always hang out together in Japan and we Aww. collaborate. And if you read my, um, my guidebooks, Cool Japan Guide and Cool Tokyo Guide. She's a character <laughs> in them. Her name's Yuko. And um, she actually, I think, a Cool Tokyo Guide has a drew, like, guest drew a few pages in the back. So we've been friends since, like, 96 because of this relationship where basically I put a comic in a store in New York City. She came here from Japan, bought it, went home, and wrote me a letter, and we're still friends, you know, and we collaborate on comics together, and we exhibited at comic market together um, because of all that. And I found all these letters of us just planning our whole, like I'm coming to Japan for school. Let's do comic market. Let's create a comic together. Like, it's amazing when I think about like now it would be so much easier. Oh yeah. <laughs> but back then I'll do the mail. I can't even believe we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Back then it was so harder. The the barriers of uh, communicating were that much higher because we didn't have, you know, the internet. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have all this stuff. So, it was incredible. Yes. And now that I think about how I was able to create this um, Kitty Sweet Tooth books with Udomaro, it's a totally different process and it's much faster, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. to share your, you know, you can chat with someone on the dime. You know, I couldn't call someone uh i couldn't instant message her ever (laughs) right now i can instant message you tomorrow whenever i want to say something to her you know (laughs) yeah you can just hop up on uh zoom or whatever and be like hey let's talk about this thing it's really interesting how technology has has made it all go faster but but i do feel very nostalgic of course there's a lot of nostalgia thinking about the 90s and how we did that all but i also look back on it like wow i can't believe like i had i feel like i still like I feel like I'm pretty outspoken and have, you know, nerve, but I'm like, wow. Like I was like, oh, my twenties, I had a lot of nerve. I love chutzpah. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Japan and like do this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, that's another thing that I thought was really interesting. You actually tabled at Comicet before. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, especially like back in the nineties, that would have been extraordinarily, difficult for an outsider to do it was totally all thanks to yuko koyama my pen pal and good friend who uh, hi yuko love you 
Um, <laughs> she's the best. And so basically we were both doing comics and she was doing original comics, uh, too, which is not, uh, people who might know about comic market. It isn't even really like at that time too, like original, co- original comics aren't really the focus. Like a lot of, most of the materials there are parody or self published yeah, parody comics like, like, and uh, doujinshi and whatnot. Doujinshi, yeah. So um, it was kind of not even that quite as common to have like original comic. I think we, I believe she, she said there was like a lottery for us to get a table because it's a really popular thing. Even then, you know. Oh yeah, it's just a huge. Uh, it's kind of like a gigantic convention center situation with, and they had. Well, there are a couple of things that uh, it's funny. This is this topic. We can go on about this topic for quite a while. So I'll, t- I'll talk however you long, <laughs> long you want me to. <laughs> but um, the comic market was amazing to me because this is, again, it was 97, I believe, when I went the summer 97. And up to that point, and one of the reasons I was really interested in in manga was because Rumiko Takahashi inspired me as a female creator, because at that time in the nineties, there were really not that many prominent professional female, like American comic artists. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the audience was not as much there of like a female audience. And so like what I would call is like the women's comics culture of Japan was like much more advanced and I just saw it as this like amazing thing. I was like, I can't believe I'm at a comic convention. It's like more than 50% women. That did not happen. That was not happening in the U S at that time. I can tell you. So, um, and you know, one of the only kind of, I'd say prominent female cartoonists in America who I still love Colleen Doran. Yes. Yeah, shout out to Colleen. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, uh, went out to there and saw so many, you know, other young girls, young girls making comics or young women making comics and buying them. And the cosplay situation was really different too. Um, cause the cosplay for anime, like they were doing it at anime conventions here, but I wouldn't have seen it too much at something like, um, comic con, like San Diego. You would, I don't, I don't feel like I saw mm-hmm. as much like the anime cosplay. So as you might imagine, um, Evangelion was, Evangelion was like huge at that oh, time. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 97. So that was, yeah. So, uh, I'd say probably the majority of the doujinshi and the cosplay that I noticed or that were something I was aware of was Evangelion. And, mm-hmm. um, one thing I noticed and I thought that they should do, I think they should do that he- here still. And that I don't think they do is that I wanted to get a picture of someone who had a really great ray evangelian costume right so i went and i asked her about getting a photo and um she extremely polite me because this politely and because this was on the floor the sales floor where the comics were mm-hmm. i learned you're not allowed to take pictures of cosplayers there <laughs> so oh yeah they have a special like, uh yeah. area they very politely took me probably like a 10 minute walk out of their way to the area <laughs> Oh, <laughs> well, it took me like I was going up escalators, down escalators, across the whole convention center, up to the roof. And that was where they were taking photos, like out on this terrace. Um, and it was amazing because suddenly I'm out on this roof and there are all these people in costume. 
Mm-hmm. And I had just been in the publishing floor and I didn't really realize what the situation was. Cause like I had no clue. I didn't know you can't take pictures down there. You know? so I, yeah. Yeah. Cause this is your first time. So yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't really something I went over with my table and me, you go. Cause like I wasn't, it wasn't even on my mind about the cosplay. Mm-hmm. That wasn't what I was there for. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. I was like, wow, I got to take some pictures. And it, I, but the, the main ones I remember were, were that and um, Iori Yagami from King of Fighters, which was a game I really liked playing. So I oh, liked the yeah. King of Fighters. So I took a bunch of pictures of those guys and I took a, like some Evangelion. <laughs> but, but it was a learning experience. And I like, you know, thank you to whoever you are, mystery cosplayer, for being very patient with me and walking me totally out of your way. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's. Nice. That's extremely kind of I wouldn't, I had no clue. Like, I didn't know it would have been a thing. Because here, and that's the issue here, I find it very inconvenient trying to (laughs) negotiate around photo opportunities in the aisles of any, you know, you you go to New York Comic Con or San Diego, it's like, it it can be a problem. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. In the aisles, and it gets really backed up if, if there's someone with a great costume and like, 20 people stop to take a picture (laughs) yeah yeah it's true so i kind of wish they would do that at shows here um yeah it's it's really amazing how efficient that they have made comicette over the years like um if you ever get a chance to see the videos where they show how the people line up in groups Mm. and and just like very uh, quietly and quickly, like, g- get grouped up and lined up and walk. Like, it, it's kind of mind blowing. I was like, that would never happen in an American convention. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I do honestly think that, like, cons should maybe start integrating just uh, special areas where like that's where all the cosplayers go and you can take pictures because I really do think that that's a fantastic idea because like you said uh, you go to a con and someone has a really cool cosplay that they just came out of the elevator on and like th- suddenly the whole hallway is just crammed full of people who won't move because they want to get a picture of this person yeah it's unfortunate because obviously I am definitely uh, admire the craft and the inspiration of the cosplayers I, I think that sometimes people in the comics like might find it inconvenient like the rise of cosplay being um becoming a big part of the shows but i think it's really cool and i admire them i do wish that the shows would do some better would have some better uh, policies about it because it mm-hmm. would just make it more convenient for everyone but um it was really cool though and and, and some other things like as a exhibitor that I always loved about comic and also committee, which is, I really done more committees, which is pretty much all original. And those are a bit smaller though. They're in the same venue. Mm-hmm. Um, we got into doing committee, but I've been, I think I've done like maybe two comic markets. Um, and at comic uh, and committee, what's cool is it's so fast how everybody wraps up and they have a very convenient delivery system for shipping the books. So you don't have to like schlep them around. Oh. I mean, there they have uh, in Japan, there's a lot, there's some really convenient delivery systems. Like I think mm-hmm. it's Yamato is probably the most famous one, but basically it's really easy and convenient to have things shipped to be a freight. It's kind of like a FedEx per it's kind of like, 
supposing FedEx came to your convention and had a big lineup where everyone got online after the show and then shipped their stuff home and they don't have to carry it. And it's convenient and like cheap enough that everyone does it. Wow. Um, and it's very quick and efficient. <laughs> so it's convenient. Yeah. There, there's so many times where I hear people who they go to Japan for like a trip or something and they're like, Oh yeah, man, I just, I shipped this to the place I was going to go and it was waiting for me when I got there. It was so easy. And I'm like, man, we really are behind on a lot of <laughs> this kind of stuff in America, aren't we? It's pretty incredible, especially with luggage. I think that's one of the things, and even I kind of caught on later to it because partly because uh, a lot of times when I'm traveling in Japan, I'm going town to town for a few days each time and wanted to check different regions out. Mm-hmm. So it, if you don't have a lot of time in between, I believe you need a couple of days to make sure your luggage gets ahead of you sometimes. But also their coin locker system at the train stations is really great. So, yeah, I've, um, I've, I've seen that in um, like some travel videos. It's like really, really cool. Yeah. So if you plan ahead enough, you don't really need to be dragging your luggage everywhere. Like, And you don't really need to be dragging it from the airport to your hotel. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times... People might notice if you are doing that, you might be the only one coming on. You know, well, <laughs> might not be the only one. You might notice that it seems like local people are not dragging their suitcases, even though they also arrived off the international flight with you. And why are mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. <laughs> doing it? And there are a lot of really convenient services that can uh, ship them for you mm-hmm. at the airport. So. so getting back to your work and your inspirations – you said you were like a huge fan of Rumiko Takahashi's work specifically yeah. and how that sort of influenced your style. Were there any other series or artists that you think influenced uh, maybe not even just your style, but maybe the way you wrote or thought of comics while you were growing up? Hmm. I mean, I'm sure a lot. <laughs> when I started out, uh, with manga, definitely Rumiko Takahashi, because you know, we are only getting a certain amount and not a whole lot of shoujo manga. Even the Rumi, I don't think you know Ranma. I think is considered shonen. Um, yeah, because it ran in um, Shonen Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But w- one thing I thought was really cool about Rama that um, I don't know if people really give her a lot of credit for or not, but uh, fight scenes. Um, I feel like with a, a lot of times with U.S. superhero comics and things. It gets kind of bogged down in the detail of drawing the muscles and stuff. And I feel like the movement gets lost and frozen and it looks really stiff. But with, if you look at the Ron Mahap, like I always felt really impressed by the movement. That was it. Cause there's so much martial arts action, mm-hmm. even though like so much of it is really goofy and funny. Yeah. I feel like she's so good at drawing somebody like kicking someone or punching someone and jumping and leaping. And, and, and it looks really good and easy to understand what's happening. And mm. I feel like sometimes with Western comics, if there's a big battle scene or people are fighting, it can get a little bit bogged down in weird little details and it doesn't look real or doesn't look like people moving. And then you also might not even be able to tell what the heck's happening. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And um, I always was really – that's something I just would, like, single out about her stuff because I thought that was really cool. But, um, yeah, like, uh, for gay comics, like, Howard Cruz is um, – he's considered, you know, kind of like the godfather of gay comics in the U.S. 
And I was um, really a fan of his comics, uh, Wendell and Stuff Rubber Baby. Um, R.I.P. Howard is awesome, so people should definitely check his work out. Mm. Um, and, geez, I sh- there's so much. So I like Julie Doucet, um, Dame Darcy. Again, I was reading a lot of whatever uh, fanographics and drawn and quarterly kind of indie stuff coming out. I like Hothead hot Python, Lesbian Terrorist. <laughs> Diane Dimasa, like it's a real mix Mm because I I was reading, you know, really indie underground comic books on top of manga, on top of, you know, I was reading X-Men and Alpha Flight as a kid. And then, so it is really an eclectic mix of stuff that I like. Um, And I'm happy now that we can finally get things like the Poe clan coming out. Oh yeah, Um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain things that certain authors that we're finally getting, and it is really cool. Um, one of my favorites is like Fumi Yoshinaga. I really love What Did You Eat Yesterday, as in as for yeah. my current comics. That's mm-hmm. one of my favorite now. I'm kind of just naming off different stuff I like randomly, but <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's yeah. that's awesome. I think I remember you talking about Battle Angel Alita at one point too. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. Uh, definitely, that was one of uh, that was one where I was introduced by the anime, and and I just really loved that. And then mm. I was reading the manga when they brought the manga. I should probably get a collect. I'm sure there's a collection now. I should have by now. <laughs> oh yeah, they they actually. Uh, I think it was Kodansha actually put out a big new set of them. Um, like you can get these really nice like hardback. Uh, sets that they did but they also have like uh cheaper paperback copies now as well yeah um i'm i still kind of have a soft spot for that old viz (laughs) release because for the kodansha one they they did do a retranslation Mm -hmm. so it's not quite the same it i know it's technically probably closer to the original but there's something about like that old viz version that just like really stuck with me, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny. Cause I still have what I, you know, don't even know how much any of these are worth, but like, I think a lot of them, I still have on a lot of that old manga. So I think a lot of them are like, way out of print. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But- uh, I was, I was very kindly gifted an entire set of the old, uh, Viz version, uh, from a dear, dear friend of mine. And, it, they were very lucky. They found an entire set that was like a library was getting rid of it. So wow. it's, it's this old library copy. So it's not like in perfect condition or anything, but I kind of even like that better because I'm like, oh my gosh, this was so like well loved by an entire library and now it's mine. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. And I think at that time I do have, I did find I had a couple of older ones. Like I had, um, to Terra from Keiko Takamiya and I had oh, yeah. um, the Moto Hagio, uh, I, I don't know if the uh, uh, or AA Prime. Oh yeah, AA um, Prime. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, that's, I, those are really hard to find now. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I just never got, luckily never got rid of them. So I still <laughs> have them and I can, and, and I just was really trying to find everything I could get. Like I had that Keiko Nishi love song collection and, and that's one of the rare shoujo um you know, collections they put out around those times. And I was really looking for that stuff. It was not, not that yeah. much came out. Yeah. Back so. then, like we got like a tiny trickle of shoujo manga, like uh, people, people didn't put it out because like superhero comics were the thing. So they didn't think people would buy just like, 
you know, regular sort of slice of life ish comics, uh, or manga. Um, but like, I'm really glad that Viz at least tried to put some shoujo out there because I really appreciate, like, that was my first exposure to any of like the year 24 group. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, like, those- I was inspired by that. A lot. Yeah. Whatever I could get, which was not much. Yeah, those, those really iconic, like, female manga artists, like, doing these really, really, like, thoughtful, sweet pieces. And, but now we have, like, you know, Viz has a whole imprint of nothing but shoujo manga. So, like, we're in, like, this era where now we have so much shoujo manga. And I'm like, Man, it's so different now. Like, I'm so happy. And I'm glad we're also getting stuff like Rose of Versailles is finally out. I was going to mention that because I finally, I mean, we've been waiting for so long. Right? And I'm going to shout out to Erica Freeman on, the, on this one. But it's like, we've been waiting for so long that I've been wanting to read that forever. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. is so gorgeous. And and I was reading it because I did get, I ultimately finally got the whole collection. And I was just kind of yelling in the other room to my husband while I'm reading it. I'm like, this is like one of the best things I've ever read. I can't believe that we didn't have it <laughs> until now. It blew my mind. I know, right? You'd think mm-hmm. this would be like on the top of everyone's list, but like apparently, like rumor has it that uh, uh, Ryoko Ikeda was very, very famously sort of like strict with like how her stuff was released, mm. which I mean, understandably so, because like if you own this IP that's like so beloved and is considered like a benchmark of comics, like of yeah. course you'd, you'd really want to be careful with who you deal with, especially like, you know, back in the day, there were some comic publishers that were kind of like fly by night and I'm sure, you know, they didn't quite have publishing up to like the standards we have now so yes. i'm kind of glad that we did at least finally get like a version that we deserved mentioning her i was very lucky and this is again i i feel like travel is super important to people to broaden their horizons if they can do it and sometimes when you travel like really random magical stuff can happen and i will say i did get to meet ryoko ikeda at Angoulême festival um, wow. I was, at, she was a guest at Angoulême, which is the French comics festival. Um, oh yeah. Was, they, they love <laughs> Rosa Versailles in France. They really do. And it came down to this kind of a random situation where, because I was like, I had a table, like authors and guests could be in, um, like a kind of nice salon, like green room kind of situation. And I happened mm. to be there when she was there. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. But, yeah, yeah. Oh. It, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm so happy that her stuff finally came out here. And, and I'm really glad. I, I, I highly encourage everyone to get that collection. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's really interesting, too, that, like, out of a lot of the, the female fans, and not just the female fans, but even just, like, anyone under the LGBTQ spectrum, a lot of people cite especially comic artists cite growing up with like Romiko Takahashi and how she was like such a big influence on them because it was like oh here's this woman making comics and she's like super well beloved and respected and it's it's so interesting because I feel like all these creators were like drawn to specifically like her work or work in that similar vein 
because mm-hmm. they just weren't getting out what they get from like that work out of American comics at the time. Yeah, totally. Well, I think with Ranma too, because I, I mean, I think that a lot of times it's frustrating and as like a female creator or if you're a marginalized identity creator to just look for things that, especially at that time in, in the mid nineties to look for things that you could like see either see yourself in or aspire to even as a creator be like, in the U.S., I sure don't know a ton of famous, you know, women comic creators, but I know in Japan there are many who are really successful and well-respected and make these amazing creations, and, like, that is inspirational, you know? So. Yeah, for real. And now I, f- I feel like we're almost going through, like, this era, like, I've, I've talked about this before, where people were so influenced by, like, say, Rumiko Takahashi or similar works that were coming out at the at that time in the manga and anime sphere. And now we're seeing like what they created from being inspired by all that. And we're going through this like really cool era of like stuff that was obviously like kind of manga or anime inspired. And it makes me so happy because like almost every creator I've ever met who like had to go through like American like art school or things like that had teachers that were like don't draw this anime bullshit. Like nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that. Uh, it's funny, and we should totally. I really want to mention Sailor Moon, the anime, because I feel oh, like yeah. that. I feel like that was what did it. Uh, you know, having Sailor Moon on um, TV in the U.S. I think that really inspired like generations. Of, that was before my heyday, because that was coming on around when I was, I think, in college, and I was. I was watching it sometimes. It was since the story was, you know, young for me, but I totally got it. Like, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm glad this is here, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But, and I think it really did make a big difference because at the time I feel like I was in a situation where we were struggling to make people understand that comics are for everybody and that everybody can make comics. And, I, you know, I was involved with the organization Friends of Lulu, which um, was like, that was sort of the point was to try to, bring you know to the fore the idea that everybody can make comics comics are for everybody including girls and women and it's not just for you know not just superhero comics for boys Mm -hmm. and i think now Mm -hmm. we're finally at that point where it's like it happened you know here in the u.s um which is amazing when i think about how far it came since then yeah it's it's so cool to see like all these different creators of like different backgrounds different genders different identities like making all this really cool stuff now it really like warms my heart because like now it'll be a lot easier for anyone to see themselves in like a comic or a cartoon or a story or something yes i I think it's really it's a really good time we are in a golden age for sure but i think that one thing's going on now is that kids comics and middle grade comics there have been a lot of um, advancements and a lot more stuff. But I think that the challenge now is going to get to those readers are getting older and we need to bring out more comics that are for them that yeah. are going to be reflecting mm-hmm. those same kind of values and things. I was a value or, you know, the same kind of, um, diversity, I guess, or, uh, different kind of topics that you can address. And I think that's tougher because, um, it can be a tougher sell because unfortunately, um, and we're probably aware that there's like this, 
you know, very censorship kind of push going on. Um, yeah. Libraries and school libraries is really unfortunate. They're really, um, people who like don't understand and don't care to understand are trying to stop everybody from accessing books <laughs> and things. And it's, terrible so yeah um, it's it's really disheartening to see like all these people they're especially attacking attacking things uh, uh that have to do with like teaching children about like how to discover your own sexuality and like just being who you are and stuff like that like that's it's really really disheartening to see that kind of thing because that's like the perfect subject for comics because it's in comics are in a language that are easy to understand mm-hmm. and and absorb. And that's why they're so great for kids, especially kids who are like, oh, I don't like reading. But mm. like you give a kid a comic and it's not like you're kind of almost tricking them into reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see that. Um, yeah. I guess all that is to say, please support your local library and your school library and try to get on your school library boards and uh, encourage them yes. to bring in, you know, good books. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Support mm-hmm. your library. I'm a huge library, you know, proponent. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's great because it's also much easier to catch up with manga with the way the libraries are now because people <gasps> oh my God, are aware right? that um, if your library has app like Hoopla or, uh, the oh man there's another one that's specifically for comics but hoopla and libby all that stuff you can get a lot of manga on them i noticed kodansha like in my personal like at my branches they have a lot of kodansha stuff this Mm -hmm. stuff you can actually catch up on a lot and and you don't even you know not everyone has the budget very few people have the budget to keep up on every manga series so oh i definitely don't (laughs) and so i utilize my my um library card as much as possible and it blows me away because when i was younger i i think i freaked out uh finding some copies of ronma one half at a library once and i i was like wow there's manga at the library like i was like blown away now you go to almost any library and there's like a whole section of like graphic novels with not just like manga but like also like american comics yes which is really really cool (laughs) yes totally and a lot of uh your libraries like you said you can access ebooks of uh of manga which is crazy to me because like you literally are like i'm gonna be put on a wait list and then like a week later you get an email like hey you can read this manga for free at, oh yeah, they've the, got like the almost like the local one because I, I I like I think everybody else because he's a phenomenon now. But uh, most libraries I think have a, a lot of Junji Ito. So if you're like, you know what, I want to read yeah. all the Junji Ito comics, like they're probably at your library. <laughs> Check mm-hmm, it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I'm very vocal about how great libraries are on Twitter. I Big love time. my library. Uh, my library, like you can, you can rent Blu-rays at your library. You can yep. read manga at the library. At my library, I can vote. So nice. like, it's great for me because I can go vote and then I can go pick up some books. <laughs> yes, perfect. And you can watch movies and you can get like, if you have Canopy, they have anime on there too and on Hoopla actually. Yeah. So you can actually even watch anime at your li- on your library card. So it's great. Anything. All for free. It's amazing. It is amazing. We're lucky to have it. But, you know, I realize I should probably talk a little bit more about Kitty Sweet Tooth because I think 
Yes, I was actually getting into talking about all that fun stuff, and I should explain what my story is about. Yeah, Um, I was actually going to ask you about your most recent work, uh, Kitty Sweet Tooth, which you, uh, like you mentioned earlier, was uh, drawn by Utomaru, uh, incredibly talented artist. Yeah, so um, Kitty Sweet Tooth is a comic series about a cute cat who in book one, she manages a movie theater and curates the movies or programs the movies along with a witch and a not mad, but misunderstood scientist creates all kinds of crazy food. And they have all sort of mishaps in the theater with it. And, uh, it's semi autobiographical. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that because Kitty Sweet Tooth is a character that's sort of based on me that, um, I was using, uh, whenever I was doing some travel comics or something, I would make, draw myself as Kitty, as a cat. I'm a cat lover, big time. And, um, I was doing some mini comics and stuff with Kitty Sweet Tooth and, uh, got the, the idea of doing this because I love B movies and I love sweets. And it was like sort of my dream. It would be my dream to do this story. It was if, if I got to, um, program movies at a cinema and curate the food and um on top of that in the story i put her grandfather pop up which is based on my actual grandfather only he's a Aww. cat so <laughs> it's like based on who sort so um and i think my grandfather all right you know rest in peace he's he's not around anymore but he was incredibly supportive of everything i did um artistically and he also loved cats and candy and movies. So I thought he would, it would be a fitting tribute to immortalize him as a cat who owns a movie theater and a candy store. So, um, you know, I put him in there. Um, and in, it just kind of every week they screen a different B movie and something crazy happens with the food and it's just really fun. Uh, and I had the idea for the story for quite a while and I even like drew some of my own strips for it years ago, but I wanted to try to collaborate with another artist. And I had met Udamaru, I think like 2013. And I was getting around to pitching this round, I think 2017. So I was thought of her and I was like, wouldn't that be a dream? Cause at that point, I mean, I knew her, but I was so in awe of her art cause her mm-hmm. amazing art for Orisama. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be a dream if I could work on a book with Udamaru? Like that would be my fantasy. And we got in touch and I asked her, you know, if she'd want to like develop the book with me so I could pitch it. And, uh, you know, she, um, like I would draw the characters cause I already had the characters and I showed her and then she showed me her, you know, her character designs and they were like perfect. I feel like everything she draws is perfect. <laughs> I didn't hardly have to tell. I had hardly any notes. I was like, yep, this is great. yeah i i think i was telling you earlier before we started recording how like i was looking through the the books that you sent me uh and i was like i love utamaru's art so much because it feels like every panel of this comic could be its own like poster print because they're so beautiful yeah i mean her art is really so it's like stunning it glitters it gleams it's really over the top in the best possible way. Um, yeah, it kind of has that really, uh, that great sort of like cartoony, like almost Sanrio style. Yeah. Uh, to it is like, I think how I would describe it to somebody who'd never seen it. It's, 
it's really great, but it's also like, it's simple, but it's not. It's like super, she puts like all these really great details into everything. Her details are amazing. She makes everything like look shiny and gorgeous and delicious and glittery. It just somehow does it. And, and I think, and there were some other things like visually, um, there were a couple of things where I was, when we were coming up with things, I was like, well, I want, because as my own, since I am an artist too, I was able, it was kind of cool getting to work with another artist because I was able to communicate pretty clearly uh, things I was visualizing. Mm-hmm. So that made it like, because um, there are several areas where there's a, um, like an x-ray of a building and it has, uh, or like a die cut, you know, and you can see things going on inside the building oh, sure. and all these little mm-hmm. details. And that's the kind of thing I wanted to do. And frankly, like my art style is, um, I have a much more simple art style and I'm also kind of like the kind of artist who likes to draw it quickly and be done. And, uh, <laughs> I mm-hmm. feel like doing a ton of detail. I find it tedious as an artist. Some t- artists are great at it and they love it. And I'm not get, I'm not into it drawing to a lot of detail. <laughs> so it's been really cool for me as somebody who is not into drawing detail to work with someone who is, cause I can be like, yeah, draw a lot of detail, make this happen. You know? <laughs> and she always comes up with amazing stuff and all these little Easter eggs and all this cute, these cute things. And it's great for a kid's book too, because if a kid can't read well yet, like they could spend a long time just even looking at each page to just oh, see yeah, all the tiny sure. details. And I, but in the writing of it, I also did that where we are both, you know, big movie fans and learn to be movies. So I put a lot of gags and like in jokes and things for people who like B movies in there. So, um, in the first book, she's running the theater. And then at the end, spoiler alert, but at the end of the first book, she decides she wants to direct her own movie. And then, and that's what happens in book two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I really loved like all the little, um, little Easter eggs with movies that I uh, was seeing in there. Like I wanted to ask if there was any specific ones that are like your favorite. Well, since, uh, yeah, I mean, well in book one, there are a lot, like I'm, I love making up fake movie names. So there's Mm -hmm. a scene. um, I mean, there's a lot of fake movie names in it. So um, like the wonder palace, which is her grandfather's movie theater before they make it into the taste-o-rama. Uh, he's screening Casablanca, um, (laughs) and then in her fantasies of what she wants for the movie theater, she's going to like renovate it. She's screening the most amazing movie ever made. That's the title. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I had a lot of fun. Like, hey, I'm going to look at the page actually, because I have the books in front of me, but she's in the archive of theater. Yeah, that's right. There's a 35 millimeter archive in the theater. So, uh, we got to put, um, uh, uh, Mints of Darkness, Robo Cow, Dracula's Cousin, <laughs> Bride of Gamera, <laughs> Candy yes. Apple, which is like I, the apple. I specifically remembered Robo Cow because I just, I laughed at that one. <laughs> uh, I've son of the cousin of the creature of the Mauve Lagoon. Uh, but yeah we uh, logan's dog is one so there's a lot a lot i missed that one (laughs) yeah if you look i have a lot of that was really fun i was just sitting around coming up with fake movie names Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. we had like planet of the crepes yeah oh yes that was the other one that i really liked (laughs) 
Planet Inva- of the Grapes. Invasion I was of the like, Hungry Plant Monster. <laughs> I was funny. like, if if I had a crepe place or a place that made crepes, I would want to call it Planet of the Grapes because that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we have Attack of the Mega Glob, which is the first one, which is sort of like a blob parody. But, mm-hmm. And then the second book, which is just came out this October, so I've been doing book tour stuff for that. Um, and that one is... I felt like I even like amped it up. It's a lot more, it's a lot more ambitious because Kitty Sweet Tooth becomes um, a director. And one of the things I wanted to do, and this is actually retro anime uh, relevant, but I wanted it to have a transforming vehicle. And yes. I, I kept sending Udomaru all these Dragon Ball <laughs> images and Akira Toriyama images of the vehicles. Cause I was like, Make it like that. Make it like that. I want it like this. <laughs> that totally makes sense because, like, if anything, Akira Toriyama, like, makes some of the coolest looking, like, little cars and vehicles and things. Like, yeah. I love I love how he draws, like, mechanics. They always yes. look so cool. I really love, uh, like, all the capsule stuff and, uh, like, my, my husband's more of a Dragon Ball uh fan than I am but I was reading his collections for the for reference and I definitely was trying to be like look um also oh boss I'm forgetting his first name but he was one of the illustrators they based the alien um vehicles on I was working on finding some cool reference for alien from alien and from Akira Toyama art which, though, honestly, Udomaro made it her own and did her own thing, so you might not even know it <laughs> from looking at I, it. I feel like it gives that kind of vibe, though. Like, definitely. I mean, it might not look like a one-to-one, but it definitely has that sort of feeling to it. Yeah, yeah. So it it was just really cool uh, to get. That's fun. I mean, that's one of the things that's really fun about working with other artists or with an artist and being like, hey... I like this and that. Can you put this in it? <laughs> yeah, and it's really cool to to see like the the combined efforts of both of your imaginations because I feel like this uh this comic, this Kitty Sweet Tooth comic, like obviously it's geared more towards like younger readers. It was Chris Foss. Like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Chris Foss is the illustrator I was thinking of. Oh, okay. okay. Go on, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but like, uh, like I was saying, obviously it's it's geared more towards like younger kids. But I had so much fun reading them just because like I could feel the the love of the source material, and I could feel like, oh, whoever made these definitely loves movies and they love food because everything is just sort of put out there in like this just pure love of the genre right yes yeah and and (laughs) and and like you said like the illustrations were so good and i really feel like you guys collaborated like so well on these like i i really really enjoyed reading them a lot and i feel like a lot of people like our age i think would appreciate these uh as well maybe not just for themselves but for sharing with like younger kids who like they want to maybe get them into like not just maybe reading manga but comics in general yeah i mean and and like 
for instance, also in the newer book, like she and I are big fans of Mad Max Fury Road. So I'm sure if you read it, <laughs> then, like you can definitely see that there's like a references to that movie in this book. And there's references to like Creature from the Black Lagoon. There were references, mm-hmm. you know, there's some things that were original and didn't have a specific reference, but like we were both really into Fury Road. So I was like, we're going to make it like Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see it, you'll know it. Um, mm-hmm. But um, another thing which was relevant, I thought, uh, to readers is I really wanted to encourage um, girls to get into the idea of being directors and and creators and programmers of movies because it's really unfortunate, but like, it's a very, like, I think it's less than 5%. Like the percentage of female uh, directors or movies made by like non male directors. It's very tiny still. It's like really sad. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted to make a book that might, you know, show girls, little girls or, you know, and marginalized people that like, you can do it. Like you don't have, you know, this is something that you can try to do. And like Kitty Sweet Tooth is like this endlessly ambitious kind of really cheerful and she's going to do it. And, and sometimes problems happen and sometimes mistake ha- makes happen, but she's with her friends and they're there to support each other and to make something creative and great for their community. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's running a theater where people can come together and enjoy a movie for fun or directing a movie and making new friends and then showing it to people. And I think that that is like one of the things that really is inspiring to me um, as a theme. And, and again, even though it doesn't seem like it, like our reality mirrored what happened in the book because I got to make with my friends something that I could share with like my community and with the public that I'm hoping will inspire them too and so it's just a really great experience that i hope people will get to share and enjoy and inspire them to make things (laughs) yeah totally like i really love the the sort of like diy spirit of the the stories because also at the end i noticed um in each of the comics uh, there's a little thing that's like, hey, make make your own thing. And like there's like recipes and things for making stuff at the end. Yes. Which I thought was really cute because like there's a lot of kids comic uh kids manga even that I read where like if the uh if they're doing like a cooking thing, they'll have like, here's the recipe for the thing we cooked. Yeah, yeah. That was like when I pitched this series, like I thought I did put the in because I thought it would be fun to have recipes, even though I'm not a professional. I will warn everybody. I'm not a professional chef. I'm not a professional recipe writer. (laughs) (laughs) However, um, I know what I like and I, I was able to come up with two different ideas for recipes that, um, things that I thought were fun as a kid. Like the first one is rock candy because in the first story, it's very much, about using magic and science to create sweets. And I think rock candy is like a really good real life example of that. Oh yeah, for sure. And on one hand it seems simple, but the worst part, I will say like that was one of the most challenging parts of even making these books was the recipes because like (laughs) when you're going through the editorial process, having to test the recipes and then also having like a, whatever grammar using or language to like communicate for kids on how to do the recipes. It was like almost grueling how much work I had to do on those pages in comparison to the rest. 
Aww. And testing for rock candy is actually really hard because it takes days to make it. And depending on the conditions, it might not work, like whatever your environmental conditions are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so That's true. It, I, didn't, I really didn't want kids to be um, disappointed trying to make it. I haven't heard anything yet. So far, I've only gotten positive comments. Because some of the recipes I found were like the sugar the sugar ratio was lower. It didn't develop. So mm-hmm. I had to kind of keep adding more and more sugar. This is turning into a test recipe discussion. But but I will say <laughs> for the second book, I did um, flourless chocolate uh, cake or chocolate lava cake. And that came out perfect every time. It was really easy and tastes great. So I was surprised that the, the lava cake ended up being easier than the rock candy. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> They're both good. Science still hasn't perfected rock candy yet. (laughs) Rock candy is one of those things. I was talking to my husband, too, and he told me that he actually had a fail on it when he was a kid. And it disappointed. I was like, oh, I don't want to have a rock candy fail. Um, But, uh, with, uh, you know, I I think we even put some language in there that was just saying, if it doesn't work, try it again. Because sometimes, depending on the conditions of the water or the temperature and stuff around, it just might not work, you know? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think kids like I mean, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, ask the people who live in higher elevations. It's harder to bake things there. <laughs> I definitely noticed that, uh, you know, <laughs> reading recipes, they usually have extra instructions for the people in higher elevations. So, <laughs> so um, before we get into some listener questions, uh, do you have any older anime and manga recommendations that you would give to any younger fans listening to this? Like anything that you uh, specifically really love deep in your heart to this day still? Well, for manga, I would definitely say even though I only recently got to read As a Rose of Versailles was awesome. And I also something recently came out um, and that... I never got to read it before, but it's older, I think. Little Leo, Little Leo by Moto Hagio. <gasps> yes. Oh, I, I got a copy of that for Christmas from a friend and I loved reading that so much. I was blown away, actually. I really recommend it. It was the cutest thing ever. I love, again, I'm a cat person and I love drawing cat comics and writing about cats and living with a cat, you know, so, mm-hmm. so people who aren't into cats may not, but Lilia was the cutest thing I ever read. I read in ages and I really think it's great that we're getting more Moto Hagio. I mean, get any Moto Hagio you can get because you never, it, it seems like manga is always going out of print. So I say go get it. Um, yes. Lilia Highly is recommend. so charming and it's like this little cat who has all these little misadventures and the way that he's drawn is just so charming. I love it. Yeah, it is really cute. Like, uh, I especially like how it was released. Like, Dempa did this really neat, like, it's not quite hardcover, but it's not a paperback cover. It's sort of like a soft vinyl cover almost. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful book. Yeah, it's it's really, really nice. It's very sweet and charming. If you are a cat person, you will love this manga. It's yeah, so good. So it's I, so good. I recommend that. And then the Maizani Koku's, like, a, they have special editions coming out from Biz. <gasps> yes. I would say totally, any of the Rumiko Takahashi special editions that they're starting to put out, the collector's edition, they're great. And mm-hmm. you will not regret it. <laughs> yes. Uh, as listeners of the, the podcast know, uh, Maisen Koku is one of my absolute number one favorite manga of all time. 
It's so good. And these new additions are just absolutely fantastic. I love them to death. Mm. Uh, highly, highly recommend them. Also, the collector's editions of Mermaid Saga. Yeah, yeah, also all of that. Very, very good. And those are uh, Mer- Mermaid Saga is only two books, so like that's great. <laughs> Not yeah. very much to buy, but uh, yeah, I also highly recommend all of those picks. They are very, very good. <laughs> good taste. Yeah. <laughs> High five yeah, yeah. for excellent taste. Um, so we do have a couple of listener questions. Uh, the first one is from Skylar. Uh, which one of your works would you most like to see get an anime adaptation? And who would you want to work on it? Yeah, well, I feel like it's, I mean, I would love Kitty Sweet Tooth to be animated. We Like, it, it's it's out there in you know proposal form so hopefully someday somebody will actually animate it and uh of course i would love udomaru to do it so um i mean that i might seem obvious but like i she's a genius so what can i say but um yeah i <laughs> like with her work for like we were saying muta king like i i don't think i could see anyone else doing the like the designs for for a kitty sweet tooth anime. Yeah, yeah. So I would, I think that's to me almost like a no brainer. I would love that. But I think that like it, it's out of print. Like some of my older stuff's out of print still, though you can get e-, e copies of most of my work. Um, I think on Comixology or, um, Northwest Press, a lot of it. But, um, like Daltopia would also be a cool one. And that one actually won an international manga award. Um, but it's currently like out of physical print. So I probably, should get on trying to get that reprinted soon. But um, I think that would also be neat if that could be animated. And then also, of course, I mean, tomorrow <laughs> would be cool to work with on anything. <laughs> so That would be really cool to see her take on that uh, design. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't, you know, frankly, it's kind of funny because uh, I'm a little bit more of a manga person, anime person. So I don't really know who all the cutting edge anime creators are. So I don't think I know a whole lot of other people that I would no style wise that I should say would do it, but, um, mm. you know, I'm up for suggestions of a yeah. cool new anime that I should like the, the most recent one I saw was that I liked a lot was, um, uh, Jula Richard, the case files of Jula Richard. I liked the story a lot. So, but I'm not really oh. sure about who was behind the anime part of it. I have, I've heard a lot of good things about one, about that one. I haven't seen it myself, but, uh, I've heard a lot of glowing reviews. Yeah, check it out. It's good. <laughs> um, we also had an anonymous question from someone on Tumblr. Uh, do you have any advice for artists who want to submit? Uh, speaking of you winning an International Manga Award, do you have any advice for artists who want to submit a work to a manga award like you did? Just do it. Uh, you know, it's actually not too hard. Um, at the time that it's not too hard to submit, obviously winning is not that easy. <laughs> but uh Really, when it comes down to it, um, you can't win if you don't play, <laughs> as they say in the lottery. Don't ever be too scared or nervous to try to send yourself. Just follow the instructions and submit for whatever you want. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you don't get it and move on, you know, that mm-hmm. no one's going to know that you're out there if you don't tell them. Um, and something, especially like the international manga award, I mean, you're dealing with, it's like Japanese officials in the government and like people on their board who are, uh, manga artists that are looking at it. So, I mean, there's probably no way they would ever hear of you unless you mailed it in yourself. So you've got to try, 
you know, I'll try, mm-hmm. go for it, do it. That's, that's my motto for it. Um, the instructions on the website, I think are pretty clear. Uh, if you are, uh, published by a publisher, then ask them to do it for you. Because in that case, that, uh, Zaltopia, I had my publisher PR do it. So usually when you are working with a publisher, they'll have like PR people who help you promote your book. A lot of times for awards, you talk to them and give them ideas because and just tell them, Hey, can you please submit me for this, this, and this? And then they will furnish the copy or whatever they need to do and mail it and take care of all that for you. Hopefully they can do that. But if not, you know, always be ready to DIY. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but good luck. Good luck. I hope you, I hope you win. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I, I also agree that that's really great advice. There have been a lot of times where, uh, you know, in the past when I was younger, uh, I also liked, you know, drawing and stuff a lot. And I would be like, really scared to submit art to, like, contests and things like that. But, you know, uh, in the end, I was like, well, that's, that's dumb, because like, you know, it's not like they're going to scold me if I don't win or something. <laughs> yeah, there's there's literally no downside. I mean, obviously, you want to be cautious if it seems like somebody is trying to take advantage and, like, take your copyright or something. I oh, mean, yeah, I know that sure. that's another story, but, like, the International Manga Award is not, like, a situation like that. So, uh, you can no, no. Um, but, yeah, obviously, you want to keep an eye. Read all the small print if it seems shady or weird then you know maybe ask around but something like that uh or general awards like something like the eisner award or any of the other comic awards out there usually it's pretty straightforward and usually all you have to do is do some paperwork and fill it and send them you know samples copies of the book so yeah 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 um uh, yeah obviously that's also a good piece of advice don't send just to every little contest that you find because Unfortunately, there are some people out there who would probably just, you know, use your art and scam you. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, always, a always, yeah, always make sure that it's like a legitimate award thing that you are submitting to. Um, also, don't submit to those things where it's like you have to pay to get in no. to the thing. Th- those, are, those aren't worth it. They are not worth it. Yeah, it depends. Like, I think it's sort of depends on some stuff because like there's something like the society of illustrators like there's a fee you know some of the things there are fees to enter for um annuals and contests but i think you can you know just research things and see what seems worth it to you mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I i'd say just the best thing because i think a lot of times beginners are a lot of times it's such a common question. I'm like, well, like I'm afraid to show my stuff. What if someone rips me off? And so I'm like, well, how are they going to rip you off? You didn't make it yet. You know, you have to make the thing you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think a lot of people have kind of unfounded fears of somebody ripping off their imaginary idea that they didn't create. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, you wanna, you're, you're ahead of yourself right now. First, you have to create the story, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have this million dollar idea. Well, what is it? Well, I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's what I think is very cool about DIY and self-publishing and making your own web comic or making your own website where you can have the stuff out there. So like, at least you're making it because the point, I mean, to me is you're making it to share your creative 
work with others who, and hopefully you might find your people and your like audience. And if not, you know, you made your thing and, and like that is very satisfying. You know, yeah. it can be. If making your thing isn't satisfying enough for you, that might not be like the path you should take. Because <laughs> like you can't mm. count on every single person like loving you. <laughs> you just, yeah, this is true. You can't not everyone's on. not everyone's going to be a fan of like every art. Yeah, out there. yeah. Everybody's got different tastes, and you have to like not every, every. You know, I know my work's not everyone's cup of tea. I can't take it personal. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Same. Mm-hmm. I don't love mm-hmm. everything that comes out from other people too, but I'm not going to like. You know, I don't really want to move on. <laughs> I focus on what I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the way to do it, honestly. And we had one last question from, let me see. Let me scroll down. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Chris. Chris asks, if you had the chance to write an official uh, manga adaptation for one of your favorite manga series, which one would you pick? Wait, a manga, sorry, a manga adaptation. <laughs> Was it a manga adaptation of a manga series? Uh, it sounds like he's trying to say, like, with your work that you did where you wrote official scripts for, like, say, yes. uh, Powerpuff Girls or, like, Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, like a license. Like um, yes. Yeah, we didn't really talk about it, but in case, just so, so listeners know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of license character writing so i wrote for powerpuff girls comics and simpsons comics and um amazing spider-man family and various others for various publishers um that's super interesting i never thought of that oh wow it's a good question um yeah i guess like if if there was a like a spin-off of any of like your favorite manga like what would you want to write for wow i almost wish i like had more time to think about this. Let me think. Spin off <laughs> on my favorite manga. Like, probably I would. Because, hmm. you know, one of my favorite comics is What Did You Eat Yesterday? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love it a lot, but I think I would write more. Um, I could just do side adventures of those characters. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> what did you eat yesterday is great, but, like, it also is very focused on recipes, which mm-hmm. I do like some recipes, but I feel like sometimes I want more of the drama. Or it's not even drama. I, sometimes I just want more of, like, the slice-of-life story stuff. Yeah, the, the character-driven. Yeah, yeah. So I'd probably just see if I can get involved with that and uh, expand the universe of, like, the characters and their day-to-day stuff they do. And also, you know, actually, I just thought of another one. Agretzico would be kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I've read some of the... They they do have Agretzico comics that uh, they put out. Yeah. And, uh, some of those are really, really fun. Yeah, actually, uh, now that I think about it, there is a licensed Agretzico comic. Don't worry, I'm not trying to take your job. It's okay. <laughs> Um, well, you know, if anyone is out there listening who works on those, you know, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But, but I think that with that, the reason is honestly, like, there are things I really like about that I liked about the anime, but there was also stuff where I wish like it went differently or something. So I think that that would be more like where, oh, you know what? I think like, I, I feel like she, she, she could broaden, broaden her horizons more. 
<laughs> so I yeah, would probably like totally. try to do that. But though I, though I know the, the idea of the character is that she's kind of perpetually frustrated. So it's also mm-hmm. might it also might ruin the concept of the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> If she gets happy too quickly, the show's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's always the challenge. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. But uh, what do you eat yesterday? It would be kind of fun. So you try to do something with and and uh, Gretzico in the idea of that. I think I would like her like to be better. So I would like to improve her situation in some ways. <laughs> let me help you, Gretzico. <laughs> yeah, please let me help you. <laughs> Yeah, so if any of you, like, Sanrio comic people are out there listening, like, hit up Abby. She's got ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you probably knew because I did this for Halloween. I love the movie Haosu. I mean, if there's, like, a licensed Haosu, I would do it. Please, the movie. Oh, the live action that movie. Would, that would be so cool because I know that they did, like, a couple chapters of, like, Haosu manga in japan but they were never like collected into anything so it's like you have to find these like really old ancient uh you know 70s uh manga volumes that they were in to even get them yeah that would be cool i would love to do something like that oh yeah like an official house like graphic novel i would love that that would be not just like interesting and then if i could yeah not just (laughs) not just a couple chapters but like a whole graphic novel i would love that well the other thing is uh one of my other favorite uh manga cause Keneko Atsushi and like they don't have a lot of his stuff out here in English yet and I really want to and I would love to do something where I could work with him or, or something on it uh, oh that would be cool he's just really really cool person and really cool manga so hi Keneko <laughs> so uh, I also have a question before we start wrapping things up. Uh, w- are we going to see more of Kitty Sweet Tooth in the future? I hope I, it's very it's very possible. I don't have anything specific I can announce at this moment, but like there's definitely a lot of ideas brewing, and I think Kitty Sweet Tooth always has something on the on the fire that uh, she wants to do. She's a very inspired and inspirational character. Has a lot a lot on her mind and wants to have fun with her friends and create stuff for them. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I hope we will get to see uh, more of her antics in the future because I just really think these graphic novels are so super cute. And uh, you know, thank you for bringing them out into the world with Utomaru. Uh, thank you. And thanks for having me and uh, enjoying it. Keep up the awesome podcast. Oh, oh well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for anyone out there who, uh, wants to give you like a follow or follow your work after hearing all of your really cool stories, uh, where can we find you online? Luckily it's very straightforward. So, uh, abbydenson.com, A-B-B-Y-D-E-N-S-O-N. And also on, um, Instagram and Twitter at Abby Denson. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you once again so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all your great stories about uh, comics and your inspirations. Um, and also many thanks to my listeners who supported me this month on Kofi, including David L., Katie, Patricia, Duck Nuts, and several other people who wished to remain anonymous. Thank you so much for your generous tips. 
If you want to get a shout out in the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as they are, all you have to do is go to my Kofi account and leave me a tip of two or more coffees. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, as well as at animenostalgia.tumblr.com, where you can also find other relevant links for this episode, as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, Play, Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts, just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send me your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. My amazing theme song music was done by Carobit. You can find out more about them and their work by checking out their website at kerobit.net. Once again, thank you so much, listeners, for sticking around, and we will see you next time.